you have your Bible with you, either a printed copy like I'm holding right here or a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, and open up your copy of God's Word with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Chapter 28, the last chapter in the book of Matthew. We're going to be focusing on four verses, 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. I want to be honest with you. I'm deeply troubled about the condition of many people who call themselves Christians today. And don't, don't call me judgmental, don't call me legalistic because that's not who I am, that's not the case. And yet I'm afraid that many people today who call themselves Christians have never truly been saved. They've embraced a form of Christianity that is far from what is taught in the New Testament. It centers on cheap grace, it centers on easy believism, the idea that, that I can simply believe some truths about Jesus and I will go to heaven. The idea that belief without repentance, grace apart from obedience will get me to heaven. The thought that I can have Jesus as my Savior and yet never have surrendered to him as my Lord. When I got saved, more than anything else, I, I wanted to live for Jesus. I wanted to please him. I wanted to follow him. I wanted to be a disciple and at that time I didn't know all the biblical reasons I just knew that if Jesus loved me enough to die for me I wanted to live for him I wanted to follow him but as I began to grow and and dig into his word as I read the word it only strengthened that view now apart from the Bible there are a number of books I've read that have impacted this view the first one was written by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who was executed by the Nazis at the end of World War II. He wrote a book that was entitled The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he challenged this idea of cheap grace. In the book, he said this. He said, so many people come to church with a genuine desire to hear what we have to say, yet they are always going back home with the uncomfortable feeling that we're making it too difficult for them to come to Jesus. Then describing cheap and costly grace, this is what he said. He said, cheap grace means grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which 
causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciples leave their nets and follow him. Such grace is costly because it causes us to follow Jesus. It is grace because it causes us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. The second book that impacted me as I was begin to, beginning to struggle with this was a book written by John MacArthur. The, the title of that book was The Gospel According to Jesus. And in that book, MacArthur said this. He said, the gospel in vogue today holds forth a false hope to sinners. It promises them that they can have eternal life yet continue to live in rebellion against God. But the gospel Jesus proclaimed was a call to discipleship, a call to follow him in submissive obedience, not just a plea to make a decision or pray a prayer. It puts sinners on notice that they must turn from sin and embrace God's righteousness. It was in every essence of the word good news, but it was anything but easy believism. You see, Jesus never called us to be converts to Christianity, but rather Jesus called us to be disciples of Christ. We are called to be disciples who make disciples. That means that that the mission of the church is to make disciples, not just to get people to believe some truths or to take on a certain name. That's why the word Christian is used only three times in the New Testament. Did you know that? The word Christian is only found three times in the New Testament, but the word disciple is found almost 300 times in the New Testament. When Jesus called his disciples, he made sure that they understood the cost of following him. Half-hearted people, unwilling to give themselves completely, did not respond to the call of Jesus. But today, we have cheapened the Christian faith to the point that we believe that we can be saved and go to heaven without being a disciple of Jesus. But the Bible nowhere teaches that. The Bible nowhere teaches that if we utter certain words in a prayer or we have some knowledge of who Jesus is, we will go to heaven. A Christian is not someone who has simply taken out a fire insurance policy for the afterlife. A Christian is someone whose faith expresses itself in submissive obedience. Someone whose desire is to please Jesus in all they do. And when we fail, and we will fail, we are broken, we ask forgiveness, and we humbly move forward, depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to give us victory as we walk in this sin-filled, evil, wicked world. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to unpack what the New Testament says about being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And as we begin this series, I want us to lay the foundation by making clear that making disciples, true disciples, is the task of the church. 
So if you haven't already turned there, turn to Matthew 28. And I want to begin reading in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, let me give you a little background. Jesus' first disciples had been following him for, for three years. They had seen him perform miracles. They had heard him teach eternal truths. They had experienced personally his agape love. And then they watched him die. But three days later, they saw him defeat death. They saw him defeat sin by being resurrected from the grave. It's now 40 days later. And Jesus has told them to meet him on the top of a certain mountain. This passage is known as the Great Commission. is found in some form or another in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's also found in the book of Acts. And each of these passages revealed Jesus' plan for his disciples. And Jesus' plan was simple. Disciples making disciples. That's Jesus' plan. In the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, Robert Coleman says this. He says, the Great Commission is not merely to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel, nor to baptize lots of converts, nor to teach them the precepts of Christ, but to make disciples, to build men like themselves who were so constrained by the commission of Christ that they not only followed Jesus themselves, but led others to follow him too. The criteria upon which any church should measure its success is not how many names are added to the role or how much the budget has increased, but rather how many Christians are actively winning souls and training them to win the multitudes. What I've discovered today is most churches judge their success by how many people attend a service or how many people make a decision or how many people go through the baptismal pool, but that's not what is most important. Now hear me, those things are important. But Jesus made it clear in the Great Commission that the most important thing was to make disciples. Notice again what, what this passage says. It says, the 11 disciples left Galilee. They went to this mountain that Jesus told them to go to. Then Jesus came and told his disciples to go and make disciples. If we are ever going to have the impact on our world that Jesus expects us to have, then we must take this commission to make disciples seriously. But to do that, we must first answer the question, what is a disciple? If, if Jesus told us to make disciples, we've got to know, what is this disciple? Well, in the Greek world, philosophers, religious leaders, even mysterious cult leaders attracted Disciples. A person became a disciple as they sought out a teacher and followed them and, and wanted to learn their principles. In the Jewish world, a disciple 
which comes from the Hebrew word Talmud, would attach themselves to a rabbi, a teacher. And aspiring disciples would, would follow them and, and learn from them. Ray Vanderland said this. He said, a disciple did not merely want to know what his master knew, but do what his master did. Did you hear that? A disciple doesn't just want to know what their master knows. A disciple wants to do what their master does. In the New Testament, we read of the Pharisees having disciples. We read of John the Baptist having disciples. And, of course, Jesus had disciples. And when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, come and learn from me. Jesus said, come and follow me. So a disciple of Jesus is not just someone who wants to know what Jesus taught. A disciple is someone who wants to do what Jesus did. A disciple is someone who wants to live like Jesus lived. But Jesus seemed to take this meaning even a little further. Because when Jesus called disciples, he called them to leave everything and follow him. And so let me give you what I believe is a biblical definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone who is willing to give up everything, do anything, and go anywhere for the sake of the gospel. Now let me say that again. A disciple is someone who is willing to give up everything, do anything, and go anywhere for the sake of the gospel. Give up everything do anything, go anywhere for Jesus and the sake of the gospel. Do you remember when Jesus called the first disciples? We read of an account of that in Matthew chapter 4. L listen to what it says. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me. And I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in the boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. These men left everything. They left their livelihood. They left their families, they left it all to follow Jesus. Do you remember Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler? The Bible said that this young man who was very rich came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what does the law say? And the rich young ruler quoted what the law said, and Jesus said, you do that and, and you'll have eternal life. And the rich young ruler said, I've been doing that since I was a young boy and then Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 22, listen to what Jesus said to him. He said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. And you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. Don't miss what Jesus said. Go sell everything you've got. Give it away. And then come follow me. Now the question we have to ask is, does Jesus' words here just apply to this rich young ruler? Or do they apply to each and every one of us? 
I believe Jesus was saying to this rich young ruler, you must be willing to give up everything. You must be willing to do anything. You must be willing to go anywhere if you want to follow me. So let me ask you a question. What's keeping you from following Jesus with every ounce of your being? If Jesus were sitting here this morning and he issued that call to you, what would you do? Would you get rid of it all and follow him into the unknown? Or would you walk away like this rich young ruler did? You see, I believe with all my heart, if we want to be a follower of Jesus, just like the rich young ruler, just like these first disciples, we must be willing to lay it all on the line. We must hold everything that is dear to us in open hands, willing to give it away for the sake of following Jesus. Anything less is not enough. And you may say, Rocky, well, it's impossible to do that. And yes, in your power, in your strength, it may be impossible. But Jesus said in verse 16 or verse 18, he said, all authority has been given to me. Jesus has authority over everything, and in his power, you can do anything, and you can do everything he calls you to do. Now, when we unpack the Great Commission, we discover some more things about being a disciple, and I believe that the Great Commission gives us three keys to being a disciple. First of all, a disciple is someone who believes in Jesus. That's why Jesus told us to go and make disciples. We're urging people to believe in Jesus. When Jesus began his earthly ministry and preached his very first message, he said, repent of your sins and believe the good news. We've got to believe in Jesus. In John's gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. When we believe in him, we become his children. You remember the story of the Philippian jailer? Paul and Silas have been thrown in prison for, for casting a demon out of this girl. They've been beaten and, and whipped and now cast into prison. And the guard was told, you've got to do everything you can to keep these men from escaping. If they escape, you'll die. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were singing and praising God. An earthquake occurred. The doors of the jails opened. A jailer thought they had all escaped, and he was ready to kill himself. And Paul and Silas said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And he came in trembling and said, what must I do to be saved? Do you remember what Paul said? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So you see, to be a disciple, I must believe in Jesus but believing in Jesus is more than just believing facts in your head in James chapter 2 it says that you believe that there is one God great the devils the demons believe and tremble the demons believe in Jesus Satan himself believes in Jesus Satan knows that Jesus was born of a virgin. Satan knows that Jesus died on the cross. Satan knows that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Satan knows that Jesus is coming back again. But I can assure you, Satan will not be in heaven. The Bible says that he will be cast into the lake of fire where he will spend forever and ever with everyone who rejects Jesus. 
You see, we can know the facts about who Jesus is and yet not truly be a disciple, be saved. The Bible says we don't believe with our head, we believe with our heart. In Romans 10 it says, for if you tell others with your own mouth that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. What's the difference between believing with your head and believing with your heart? You believe with your head, you know the facts. But you believe with your heart and it changes the very core of who you are, the essence of your very being. When, when I saw Sherry, I saw her for the first time. We grew up together, but when I saw her for the first time and I said, write me sometime, I knew that she was a pretty girl. I saw that with my eyes. My head understood that. But it was later when my heart fell in love with her. My mind knew that she was a, a pretty young lady. But it was when my heart was touched that I knew that I wanted to spend my life with her. You see, I can know the facts about Jesus and it not change anything. But when our heart is touched by who Jesus is and what he has done for us, it changes everything. The Greek word for faith, pisto, it doesn't just mean belief. It, it doesn't mean anything like that. The, the Greek word literally means a complete trust, a total dependence upon a person. A complete trust and a total dependence. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are trusting him and depending on him completely with everything. Not just that our ticket's going to be punched to heaven. We're trusting him with our life here and now. We're leaning on him. We're, we're allowing him to guide and direct our life. And so a disciple believes in Jesus with all their heart. But we see from this passage also a disciple belongs to Jesus' family. I want to first take you to Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what it says here. Now you are no longer strangers to God, foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family. And you belong in God's household with every other Christian. You see, the Christian life is not just a matter of believing things. The Christian life is a matter of belonging. God didn't intend for our belief to exist in a vacuum. Belief that is absent from belonging most likely is not true belief. In fact, I believe we can say that belief without belonging isn't true belief. We belong to Christ. We belong to his people. We belong together in local congregations. We believe together. We hear the word of God together. We sing together. We pray together. We hold each other accountable together. We grow together. We grieve together. We give together. We celebrate together. We evangelize together. The key is coming together and belonging. You see, while our relationship to Christ is a very personal thing, it was never intended to be a private thing. Now notice what Paul says here. He said, you are members of God's very own family. Don't miss that. The church is a family. The church is God's family. The words brother and sister are used 148 times in the book of Acts through Revelation to describe the people of God. And notice what he says. He says, you are members. This is not optional. When you become a child of God, a part of the family of faith, you become a member of God's family. Every single Christian 
needs a local church. You see, the church isn't a church building. We have buildings, we use buildings, but if this building burns down tonight, we're still the church. We're just going to have to find somewhere else to meet for a while. Because we use this building, but this church isn't the building. The church is you, the church is me, gathered together as the body of Christ. Now, in the Great Commission, it tells us that the way that we identify ourselves as part of the church, God's household, is through baptism. The Bible says, go and make disciples And once they become a disciple, they become a part of God's family, then you are to baptize them. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached that message at Pentecost, and the people were convicted over their sins, they cried out, what do we need to do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. And the Bible says, those that gladly received the word were baptized that day, about 3,000 of them. And we see this repeated over and over in the book of Acts. As people became a part of the family of God, they immediately followed the Lord in baptism. You see, baptism identifies us as part of the family of faith. And so I'd ask you, have you been baptized? So a disciple is someone who believes in Jesus with all their heart. A disciple is someone who belongs to God's family and has expressed that through baptism. And then a disciple is someone who becomes like Jesus. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8. He said, from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him should become like his son. So God said that my plan for each and every one of you who become a Christian, a believer, a disciple, is that you become like Jesus. That's what God said. I want you to be like my son, Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, It says this in chapter 4, God wants us to grow up like Christ in everything. So that's God's desire, that we become like Jesus, that we grow up to become like Jesus in everything we do. But how in the world can we do that? Well, the process that the Bible describes, we call sanctification. And the key to sanctification is surrendering our lives to Jesus' control. And the Great Commission says that one of the ways we do that is by obeying everything he commands. We go into the world, we make disciples, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and we teach them to obey everything. You see, as a disciple of Jesus, I'm to obey everything that Jesus commands, every single thing, not just the things that are easy, not just the things that are convenient, not just those things that that fit into my political mindset or my social construct. We're to learn to obey everything Jesus commanded. In my devotional reading yesterday, I was reading in Isaiah 26. And verse 8 says this, Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. Did you hear that? We show that we trust you. How? By obeying your laws, by doing what you say. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Did you hear that? Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to obey me. If you don't obey me, you don't love me. That's not me. Don't get upset with me. That's Jesus saying that. 
In 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, John said this, if someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar. Did you hear that? If I say that I know God, if I say that I'm a Christian, but I'm not doing what his word tells me to do, I'm not living the way his word tells me to live, I am a liar. And then he goes on to say, and the truth is not in me. And so if I sit back and I say I'm a Christian, but I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, even though the Bible tells me not to, the Bible says you're not a Christian, you're a liar. The Christian, the Bible says you don't love Jesus. If you did, you would have a desire to follow him and be obedient to him. Let that sink in. A disciple is someone who's going to obey Jesus in everything he says. And so a disciple, someone who belongs to Jesus, they've been saved, place their faith, their trust in him. A disciple is someone who belongs to Jesus' family and they've demonstrated that by being baptized. And a disciple is someone who belongs or becomes like Jesus, has a desire to be obedient to Jesus in everything. And so, if we're going to make disciples who make disciples, we must first of all go. Jesus said, go into our world, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, the ends of the earth. And as we go, we're to lead people to Jesus. We're to share the gospel verbally, personally. We're to share with the world that there is hope found in Jesus. Jesus offers forgiveness. Jesus offers a fresh start. Jesus offers a wonderful future. And then when they receive Jesus, we're told that we're to baptize them. We're to help them begin their walk of obedience by following his very first command to identify with his family. And then we teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. And notice, we don't just teach them. We teach them to obey. It's not about filling a person's mind with information. It's about leading a person to application, to put into practice what they're learning that the Bible teaches. And finally, we repeat the process. We make disciples, we teach them to obey everything, and then they join us in this process of making disciples, teaching them to obey everything, and then they join us in this process of making disciples who teach them to obey everything. And we continue that process until the world has heard about Jesus. And so let me ask you this morning, are you a disciple making a disciple? Because you need to understand that if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then he commanded you as a disciple to make disciples. So my second question is, have you trusted Jesus with your life? Have you really trusted him? Because if you're not a disciple making disciples, you've got to ask yourself, have I really placed my faith and trust in him? Is that why I'm not doing what he's commanded me to do? Is it because I don't know how? Is it because I'm afraid? Is it because I've never learned? What's the reason? Because if I am a follower of Jesus, I want to be a disciple who makes disciples. I've placed my trust in Jesus. Have I been baptized? If Jesus commanded that every disciple is to be baptized, and you haven't been baptized, then you're living in outright disobedience to Jesus. This isn't a Baptist thing. This is a biblical thing. And so if you're here and 
you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, you need to do it as soon as possible. Goodness gracious, we got water in the tank right now. If you want to be baptized, you can come down in just a minute and take one of our pastors by the hand and say, hey, dunk me. I want to be obedient. And guess what? We got shorts, we got shirts. If you're a girl, we got a hair dryer so you can look pretty when you get out of the water. We got everything for you. But if you haven't been baptized, you're not walking in obedience. And are you living in obedience to all that Jesus commanded? Is your desire to live your life by a biblical worldview? Are you letting God's word guide and direct how you live? Are you making disciples? I got to tell you, my, my biggest fear for you as your pastor is not that you're going to become some raging atheist. I don't, I don't fear that. I don't think that's going to happen for most of you. That, that's not going to happen. You're not going to be that. You're going to say, I'm a Christian. If I asked you that question, you would say, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Hindu. I'm not an atheist. I'm a Christian. But if I followed up that question and, and asked, are you a disciple? I think a lot of you would pause. <laughs> you would hesitate. Because you know that there's something missing. You know that there's a lot more talk with your faith than there is true life and change. Are you a disciple? My greatest fear is that some and maybe many of you here this morning will enter into eternity thinking you're going to go to heaven. Miss it because you thought praying some simple prayer, getting dunked in a pool of water, is going to save you. The Bible makes it clear that we're going to go to heaven. We're disciples, followers of Jesus. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to unpack what Jesus said. Not what you think, not what I think, but we're going to unpack the red letter words where Jesus told us what it means to be a disciple, a follower of his. And we're going to discover that, that to be a disciple is someone who is willing to give up everything, do anything, go anywhere for the sake of the gospel. So are you. Are you willing? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I just want to ask you again, do you know Jesus? I mean, not do you know about him. Not can you repeat to me the plan of salvation. But do you know Jesus? Is Jesus living in you? Can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Holy Spirit lives in me? Not because I've had some experience, because it's not about an experience. Is Jesus living in you? Is the Holy Spirit living in you? The Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict us of our sin the need for righteousness and a judgment that is to come. The Holy Spirit living in you. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, our comforter, our constant companion. It's the Holy Spirit living in you. If you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus, that's priority number one today. In a moment, as we stand and 
And as we get ready to sing, don't wait on anybody else. If you know because the Holy Spirit is letting you know that you've never truly given your life to Jesus, don't, don't wait. Step out of your seat, walk down this aisle, take one of us by the hand and say, I need to give my life to Jesus. Have you been baptized? If not, why not if you're a follower of Jesus? Today, make a commitment. Walk in obedience. Come forward and we'll tell you when you can do it, how you can do it. Make it happen. And then are you willing to be a disciple that makes disciples who is obedient in everything Jesus commands us to do? If you're willing to make that commitment today, I want to encourage you to come to this altar and just pour it all out to Jesus. Say, Jesus, today I'm making a commitment. I'm willing to do anything, go anywhere, give up all for the sake of the gospel. Father God, this is your time. And I ask you to have your way in each and every one of our lives. And I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. Amen. Stand with me.